Our reading this morning is from two short chapters that are excerpted from The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. This is a fictionalized memoir of foot soldiers on patrol in Vietnam. Enemies. One morning in late July, while we were out on patrol in the LZ Gator, two guys in our unit, Lee Strunk and Dave Jensen, got into a fist fight. It was about something stupid, a missing jackknife. But even so, the fight was especially vicious. Jensen was bigger and stronger, and eventually he pinned Strunk down and broke his nose good. Kept hitting him over and over. It took three of us to pull him off. When it was over, Strunk was choppered back to the rear where he had his nose looked after. And two days later, he rejoined us, wearing a metal splint and lots of gauze. In any other circumstance, it might have ended there. But this was Vietnam, where guys carried guns, and Jensen started to worry. It was mostly in his head. There were no threats, no vows of revenge, just a silent tension between them that made Jensen take special precautions. On patrol, he was careful to keep track of Strunk's whereabouts. He dug his foxholes on the far side of the perimeter. He kept his back covered. He avoided situations that might put the two of them alone together. Eventually, after a week of this, the strain began to create problems. Jensen couldn't relax, like fighting two wars, he said. No safe ground. Enemies everywhere. The distinction between good guys and bad guys disappeared for him. Finally, he lost control, and something must have snapped. Late one night, he borrowed a pistol, grabbed it by the barrel, and used it like a hammer to break his own nose. Afterward, he crossed the perimeter to Lee Strunk's foxhole. He showed him what he'd done and asked if everything was now square between them. Strunk nodded and said, sure, things were square. But in the morning, Lee Strunk couldn't stop laughing. The man's crazy, he said. I stole his freaking jackknife. Friends. Dave Jensen and Lee Strunk did not become instant buddies, but they did learn to trust each other. Over the next month, they often teamed up on ambushes. They covered each other on patrol, shared a foxhole, took turns pulling guard at night. In August, they made a pact that if one of them should ever get totally messed up, wheelchair-bound, the other guy would automatically find a way to end it. They drew it up on paper, signing their names and asking a couple of guys to act as witnesses. And then in October, Strunk stepped on a rigged mortar round. It took off his right leg at the knee. He managed a funny little half-step, like a hop, 
and then he tilted sideways and dropped. He panicked, tried to get up and run, but there was nothing to run on. He fell hard and was bewildered and reached down as if to massage his missing leg and then passed out. The medic, Rat Kiley, put on a tourniquet, administered morphine, and ran plasma into him. There was nothing much anybody could do except wait for the dust off, the medical evac chopper. After we'd secured the landing zone, Dave Jensen went over to Strunk. And when Strunk opened his eyes, he said, Oh man, oh man, don't kill me. Relax, Jensen said. Strunk was groggy and confused. He lay still for a second and then motioned toward his leg. Really, it's not so bad, not terrible. Hey, really, they can sew it back on. Really? Right, I bet they can. You think? Sure I do. Strunk frowned at the sky. He passed out again and then woke up and said, Don't kill me. I won't, Jensen said. But you gotta promise. Swear it to me. Swear you won't kill me. Jensen nodded and said, I swear. A little later, we carried Strunk to the dust-off chopper. Jensen reached out and touched the good leg. Go on now, he said. Later, we heard that Strunk had died somewhere over Chulao, which seemed to relieve Dave Jensen of an enormous weight. This is several years now that I have participated in this Memorial Day Sunday service, sometimes as a worship associate, sometimes as a service leader. And there's always this tension for me between wanting to celebrate this unofficial start of summer, to relax and enjoy this gorgeous Minnesota weather. We work all year for weekends like this. To enjoy friends and family who have gathered for picnics and barbecues, to hang out in the garden. Contrasted with the imperative, I feel, to really commemorate the war dead, to use this holy day for its intended purpose. UU Minister Reverend Victoria Weinstein, who's one of my favorite bloggers, said recently that to speak of war and remembrance seems futile, like speaking into the abyss. Each year they come more and more, young men and women whose lives are cut short by a failure of diplomacy or a failure of something. It is for them that we gather, for their parents and their loved ones, and for ourselves that we may remember that war is a fact of life. The war and the war dead are a fact of life for us as citizens of these United States. It is very easy for me to forget that. The war, the current two wars, the military engagements don't touch my life in any real significant way. Perhaps they don't for you unless you are a military family, and then you bet it does. For most of the year, besides reading the newspaper, I don't have to think about it. So, again, 
this Memorial Day weekend, this one Sunday out of 52, let us take an hour to remember, to pray, to hope, to cry, to sing, to wrestle with the struggles in our own hearts about the war and the war dead and what it means for us. And let's take one more Sunday to complete our May theme of friendship. War literature is replete with stories of the special bonds that are formed, forged in the trenches. In the story that Aaron read from The Things They Carried, we meet Lee Strunk and Dave Jensen, two boys, really, who get into a fight over something stupid. The viciousness of the fight reveals the awful tension and weight that these young men carry all the time, every moment of every day and every night. After the fight, they become grudging friends, and then they make a pact that if either one of them gets badly wounded, the other one would kill him, will end it. All of the guys in the unit, all of the guys in any war, and let's face it, it's mostly guys, there are young women who die in war, certainly, more now than ever before. But overwhelmingly, it's young men's lives that are lost. All of the guys in any unit are holding their buddies' lives in their hands at every moment. But these two, Strunk and Jensen, take it a step further. They make it formal. They write a sort of battlefield field living will. Who would you trust to make that kind of call for you? Who would you trust your life with? But when Strunk loses his leg, he sees Jensen come and standing over him as he's waiting to get on the chopper, and he says, hey man, don't kill me. I take it back. He's out of his mind with pain and grief and morphine, but he knows enough to know that this is no longer abstract, that he wants to live. Who do we trust enough to put our lives in their hands? And for whom would we hold that trust? From whom would we accept that burden? Perhaps it is that unless we've been on the battlefield, we can't know that kind of trust. I don't know. It is indeed an awful weight for them to carry. And when the company later learned that Strunk had died on the med medical evac chopper, on the dust-off, it relieved Jensen of a terrible burden because we are given to understand that Jensen would have carried out his awful duty. What a mixed-up place war is. And yet the writer gives us to understand that the integrity of these brothers is never in question, is without compromise. My friends here are closer than any friends I have ever had, says one of the soldiers in the documentary, Brothers at War. And in the recent award-winning film, The Hurt Locker, 
Three men form an elite bomb squad, a bomb disarmament unit. They lose friends and fellow soldiers in their deadly line of work, and the tension in the film cuts like a piece of shrapnel. Late in the film, Sergeant Sanborn is all but spent. He's counting the hours left in their rotation, and he says to the reckless leader, Sergeant James, that he wants a son. He wants something, someone, that will give his life meaning so that he can leave a legacy and his life won't have been spent for just this, blood on the side of an Iraqi road. He says every time we go out, it's life or death. We roll the dice. One thing I learned from this film is that it is in fact possible for people to live this way in this constant tension, but they cannot live this way for long and not without extreme consequences. We know that these men will be forever changed by what they've experienced, and we now know that one in five returning soldiers from Iraq return with post-traumatic stress disorder, and we know that they're not getting the mental health services that they need from the Veterans Administration. So let us remember them and their families on this day, because for them, mental health, too, is a casualty of war. It is this will to live in the face of death that can give us hope on a day that seems hopeless. The will to live, to see the beauty of life in the most minute details. That's the lesson of war, of the dead for the living. Just a few weeks ago, when the tree out front of the church was in full bloom, you know that white tree and its glorious full bloom, I was out in the narthex and I saw Lewis Bishop out there with a camera taking a picture of the tree. Lewis is recently returned from Basra, Iraq, and he said he was remembering what spring was like a year ago. He was surrounded by concrete. And so he was taking a picture of what life is really like here. When I talked to Lewis this week as I was preparing for this sermon, he said something that's really stuck with me. It's turning in my head. He said that we Unitarian Universalists look at the world very differently from the enemy that we are fighting. And Lewis said, by the way, that we are not a country at war. We are a military at war. There's a reason why it's so easy for us to keep it at a distance. Very little is asked of us if we are not a military family. Lewis said we believe in diplomacy and democracy, and that words are always better than weapons. I believe that as an article of faith. And he says that's all well and good until you encounter an enemy that would much rather kill you than talk. So what happens to our values then? When the time comes to say no, he says, You have to be ready to pick up arms and say, no, I do not accept that your 
refusal to negotiate gives you the right to take my life. It's complex, and we do a disservice to ourselves, to our servicemen and women, if we ever try to make it simplistic, to just hip hooray for stars and stripes. This will to live in the face of death is what can give us hope when it seems hopeless. The will to live, to see the beauty of life in the most minute detail, is the lesson of the dead for the living. Here's a letter to Walt Whitman from a soldier he nursed in Armory Square Hospital in 1866, Washington, D.C. Dear Walt, kind uncle, it's nearly two years since I left Armory Square, and I'm home now. The corn grew good this summer, and we bought two cows. My leg ain't right still, but it's still my leg. When you promised they wouldn't take it was the first time after the grape shot I didn't want to go to the world where there is no parting. Dear uncle, we have a son born, and we call him Walter Whitman Willis. He is well and bright as a dollar. Yours affectionately, Bill Willis. It is the will to live in the face of death that gives us hope when all seems hopeless. The will to live, to see the beauty in the most minute detail that is the lesson of the dead for the living. The poetry of World War I captures images that resonate today. A Canadian Army Lieutenant Colonel John McRae wrote, In Flanders Field, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard mid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Field. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Field. But let us understand that the torch we've been tossed is the flame of life, that the quarrel with the foe is not against the enemy on the other side of whichever no-man's land it happens to be. The foe is the very presence of war itself. Let us keep faith with the dead by rededicating our hands and hearts and minds and presence and feet and letter-writing and dollars to peace. By indeed living the good life this weekend, 
by riding our bicycles in a place where there are no roadside bombs, by camping out where there are no firefights, by hugging our partners and our parents and our children and our friends when and because we can. I believe that's the living in the face of death that best honors the war dead. That's the hope. That's what's worth fighting for. Aaron will now lead us in a ritual of remembrance. After she reads the names of each of the wars or conflicts in which the United States military has served and the number of servicemen and women who have died, we will respond with sorrow and hope we remember you. Revolutionary War, 4,435 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. War of 1812, 2,260 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Mexican War, 13,283 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Civil War, an estimated 500,000 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Spanish-American War, 2,446 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. World War I, 116,516 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. World War II, 405,399 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Korean War, 36,574 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Vietnam Conflict, 58,220 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Persian Gulf War, Desert Storm and Desert Shield, 383 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Selected military operations, 715 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Operation Enduring Freedom, Afghanistan, 1,000 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Operation Iraqi Freedom, 4,365 dead. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. One candle in remembrance of all the civilians, contractors, and foreign nationals who have died in these wars. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. One candle 
in remembrance of all the enemy soldiers. It is an article of our faith that we are connected to one another. And so, as we light this candle, let there be no more us and them. With sorrow and hope, we remember you. Will you pray with me? O God of all the nations, Holy One, eternal source of life and love, hear our song, a song of peace for lands afar and ours. Let us not shout hip hooray for stars and stripes, but lift up all of humanity this day. Let us ask forgiveness for making war, for we are all complicit. Let us give comfort when we can and pray and work for peace because we must. Let us remember the war dead in sorrow, but not stop there. Let us nurture hope sometimes a small ember burning. Let us nurture the flame of hope in our hearts that we will live lives that are worthy of these lives that are lost in war. In the name of all that is holy, amen.